If you ever attended one of the church's children's meetings, you'd find that at various times quizzes are held, a kind of a fun way to reinforce what they've been learning. And often the children will be put into teams and they can win points as they answer the questions. Sometimes when they get the answer right, there's some sort of challenge that they have to do which will determine how many points they win for their team. And one of the activities that they'll sometimes do is use a saucepan which is filled with lots of pieces of string resembling spaghetti. And one end of each piece of string is hanging over the edge of the pan. The strings are all of different lengths, but the lid is in place so that you can't see inside the pan and you've no way of knowing whether you're going to choose a short string or a long one. If you answer the question correctly, you get to choose a piece of string and pull it out of the pan. And the team with the greatest total length of string at the end of the quiz will win. Some passages of scripture can be a little bit like that saucepan. There are many strings contained within them, some short, some long. And the passage that we read earlier from John chapter 6 is one of them, in the sense that there are many threads that you could take hold of within that passage and pull them out and examine them, examine each one of them in turn. Now, this morning, we don't have time to look at all of them. So what I want to do is just pull out three of those threads and invite you to consider them with me this morning. So we're looking at that passage from John chapter 6, beginning at verse 26 through to the end of that chapter, if you just want to have those verses open in front of you. Well, here's the first thread that we'll pull out of that passage. Choose that which perishes or that which endures forever. Jesus said, don't labour for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man, his name for himself, will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. You have a choice. You can go through this life always and only choosing those things which perish or you can decide for those things which endure forever. I don't suppose we are alone in our home at the moment in that we try to do one large food shop each week if we can and then we spend about half an hour rearranging the fridge and all the cupboards trying to put all the food in date order. Often at lunch times, a voice will be heard asking, is there anything that needs to be eaten today? Often there's something that should have been eaten two or three days ago, or even longer. But we're not that fussy about these kinds of things, unless perhaps it's chicken or pork, or it's started to grow its own fur coat. Food perishes. And the issue of food was a topical one at this point in John's Gospel when those events took place because this conversation that Jesus is having with the people is taking place just after the event which we know today is the feeding of the 5,000. And these are the people who had been there 
and they followed after Jesus, eager to see him do even more spectacular things. But Jesus tells them that they are completely missing the point as to who he is and why he's come, and that they're focusing on all the wrong things, and they've made some terrible choices when it comes to their priorities. They are thinking only of their next meal, of only filling their stomachs, of only the next thrill and spectacle which Jesus might provide. Everything that they're chasing after is temporary, as is the satisfaction or fulfilment that those things provide. They are laboring for food which perishes. Now, Jesus isn't suggesting that they should be negligent in providing for themselves or their families. He's not suggesting that you shouldn't care less where your next meal is going to come from. Jesus himself would teach his disciples to trust God for those things that you do need and to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And the Apostle Paul would teach that if a Christian man will not work in order to provide for his family, then he's worse than a heathen. The issue here goes far deeper than that. Standing before these people is the one who is the eternal Son of God, the one in whose hand are held the keys of life and death, of hell or heaven. The one who one day will stand as judge of all the earth in the courtroom of heaven. And he it is who will decide the eternal destiny of every man and woman, boy and girl, who's ever breathed in this world. And all they care about is bread for today, filling their stomachs today and being dazzled and amazed today. Their only concern is to chase after the things of this world. All of their energies are being poured into chasing after the material things of this life, all of which are temporary and will perish. When in front of them stands the one who is able to give them that which lasts forever. All around us today, the limitations of this world's goods are being exposed. So many things that we have in our possession which profit us nothing when confronted by this epidemic. In people's homes, there are thousands of pounds worth of stuff. They coveted it very often. They've worked with that thing in view. They've been convinced that they can't possibly live without it. Some even go deep into debt. So desperate are they to have it. How wonderfully fulfilled their life will be, they think, if they can fill their life with all of this. And the hoping and the accumulating runs on and on and on. Or you might be someone who's thinking, well, actually, I live quite modestly. And yet, is it not the case, perhaps, that you still find that same sense of security and have that same sense of fulfilment from being surrounded by all of those familiar things? And around the world right now, there are families with loved ones in intensive care who they're not allowed to be with. And all that they have worked for lies all around them and they've got nothing. 
They're grief-stricken, heartbroken, and all the things they've laboured for are things which can offer no hope and one day will perish, just as very sadly some of their loved ones will, who will leave it all behind. And they've got nothing if they've not got Christ. By God's grace, some families are pulling through times of great crisis. And by his same grace, we see lots of examples of human kindness and love. But the day will come when those same families will be staring death in the face once again. And that same sense of helplessness and hopelessness will overwhelm them once more. It's still not gone away. And all of the things that they have in their life are just passing and temporary. It's right here in the midst of the world's despair that the gospel rises above all other things and holds out what the world so desperately needs. Hope. Real hope. Enduring hope. There is something that you may have which will never perish, which can never be taken from you and which endures not just throughout this life but, the, but beyond this life and into the life to come. Now that is something I'm interested in, aren't you? Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. No, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for they cannot. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Laying up treasures in heaven. Eternal things. Enduring things. And that leads us on to the second thread that I want to pull out of that passage. That which is of heaven endures forever. Maybe, just maybe, God will be pleased in these days to trouble people in their conscience and in their soul as they observe what's unfolding in the world right now. Maybe God will trouble them. Maybe God will trouble you to pause and wonder why. If we are nothing more than the fluke result of random happenings over a very long period of time, why do we even care about this virus and what it can do? If this disease is just part and parcel of the evolutionary processes so loudly acclaimed and applauded by so many, why aren't they all rejoicing at the opportunity to witness one aspect of it at work as this virus wipes out the elderly and the vulnerable and gives a little tweak to the world's gene pool, if that's what they think is really happening? Maybe God will be pleased to trouble people as to how much of our cultural life can be so swiftly 
and abruptly curtailed and shown to be so completely useless when something like this pandemic emerges. Perhaps God will trouble them to consider the glaring and horrific inconsistency that so far the number of deaths from COVID-19 in the UK is still 180,000 deaths short of the number of babies aborted from the womb in 2018, which many people insist is a human right and most people don't bat an eyelid over. Can anyone please stand and explain that one to me? Actually, the Bible does. The Bible says it's the wicked deception of sin, the awful, twisted depravity of sin. Maybe God will be pleased to trouble people to make them question why it is that we place so much value on human life, why it is that we do so much to try and hold on to life for as long as we can, ignoring what we do to babies in the womb. Maybe God will be pleased to cause people to see that with many of their regular distractions and entertainments taken away from them, there is something very basic and fundamental about human life which they've been missing all along. There's another dimension to human life which has been suppressed by our own willful sinfulness. Jesus said, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life, Jesus said, and he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. You see, human life has its origins in God. Human life has its origins in heaven, in the infinite wisdom of an all-wise and all-powerful God. Meaning and purpose have their origins in the infinite wisdom of that same all-wise and all-powerful God. Human life is fashioned after God himself, made in his image is the phrase the Bible uses. And on that basis, you and I find our greatest fulfillment when we are living in fellowship with the one by whom and in whose image we were made. We place such great value upon human life because human life is a reflection of God. We struggle so much with the separation which death brings because death is not supposed to be something that we experience and neither therefore is the separation which death brings. That's why so many people, even people with no religious conviction, hope so very much that their loved ones who have died are in a better place and that they one day will be reunited with them. Despite the fallenness of their sinful nature, these realities are not totally lost on people, you see. They know that there is something more. Maybe in these days, the Lord will make people pause and think about these things. Jesus came into the world from heaven to remind us, first of all, that those things which are of heaven 
endure forever. He has risen from the dead because that which is of heaven endures forever. He's come into the world in order that you and I may be reconnected to heaven. You see, the Bible teaches, doesn't it, that your sin and mine has separated you and me from God and disconnected us from heaven. By being reconciled to God in Jesus Christ, you are also reconnected with heaven and with all of heaven's realities because heaven is the eternal dwelling place of God. Jesus has come from heaven to bring you heaven's life. As food is to your body, so the Lord Jesus Christ is to the soul. This is the Bible's explanation for why the things of this world will always ultimately fail you and leave you with nothing. It's because you're looking in the wrong place entirely. And because you have your origin in God, not the world, your soul, as your own conscience tells you only too well, is not for this life and for this world only. You need the life of heaven. The life of heaven that when God first made Adam and Eve, he put into them. You need that which is everlasting. And you'll never find any of those things in this world. Jesus is heaven's life. Come down from heaven so that you may have it once more. He calls himself the bread of life. Feed on him, he says, and you'll find that which satisfies all the longings of your soul. That which preserves and keeps you in times of trouble. That which you can never lose and actually only gets better beyond the grave. Maybe as God troubles people over all of the inadequacies and griefs of this passing world, he will be pleased to reveal to them the everlasting glories of heaven and of the God who dwells there. And that life which, may, which might be theirs through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And why do I keep saying, maybe God? Simply for this reason, because only he can. And those of us who belong to him ought to be praying with believing hearts that he actually will. You'll hear many people say that they can't wait for life to get back to normal. <laughs> Going back to labouring on for the food that perishes. Let's pray for, that for many people <clears throat> in this worldwide situation, it will be something which God uses in such a way that their lives actually don't return to normal because their lives will never be the same again. You'll have heard people using the phrase, the new normal. Actually, that's the very thing that all of us need. But it comes when you begin to feed on Christ and receive the life which he alone can give. 
So let's close by thinking about that and draw out a third and final thread. Let's listen again to what Jesus said. I am the bread of life, he said. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die, referring to himself. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. My flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread, Christ, will live forever. Here's our third and final thread. He who eats this bread will live forever. But what does he mean when he talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood and feeding on him? Well, if you think this sounds bizarre in 21st century Britain, don't worry, because the people who Jesus was talking to in 1st century Galilee were just as perplexed. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They were asking themselves. It's just an analogy that Jesus is using. That which Jesus is promising is dependent upon his death and resurrection because he must first atone for your sins, as we remembered a few weeks ago over Easter weekend. That which Jesus is promising is dependent upon you seeing and understanding that he is the saviour that you so desperately need, that in his body he suffered the penalty for your sins and in the shedding of his blood he died in your place for your forgiveness and for the pardon and cleansing of all of your sin. Do you believe that? Have you, will you turn to acknowledge him and accept him as your saviour and your Lord? In John chapter 6 at verse 29, uh, we read just a few short works words but they are deep in meaning this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent that's why I said earlier maybe God because it is all God's work in hearing the words of Christ you believe him and you trust in him and in turning to him you receive from him that which endures forever that which you can never lose that which can never be taken from you that which will keep you and uphold you through the most severe of trials even through the valley of the shadow of death I could introduce you to many Christians, young and old, who can testify of God's grace and comfort and peace 
in the midst of the deepest grief. I know of a few families who are going through that right now. I can testify of that comfort and grace and peace during such times of grief and loss. And also Christians can speak of the assurance that they have in Christ and that that assurance that they have remains as firm today as it ever has been and they continue to live with daily hope because through Christ they have received that life which has come down from heaven. And they've received that life by receiving him because he is that life, that life that all of us so desperately need. And the Christian lives on with eternal hope because that which comes down from heaven endures forever. My heartfelt prayer is that all of us this morning might have this same hope, might have this same life, might have this same Jesus. Why do you go on labouring for those things which will only perish? In the Lord Jesus Christ, you may have today that which endures to everlasting life.